to Direct Impact, where we discuss the various ways our mental health and quality of life intersect. I'm your host, Andrea Epstein, licensed professional counselor, master's addictions counselor, and certified sex therapist. Think of our time together as focused self-reflection mixed with insight, passion, and empowerment. Now, take a deep breath. Now let's dive in and see what impacts you today. Hello, this is Andrea Epstein, and welcome to another episode of Direct Impact. We are here today with Alia Karada, who is going to talk to us about dialectical behavioral therapy, otherwise known as DBT. This is a technique and a modality that is often used in clinical therapy and the treatment of individuals. And Alia is one of our beloved therapists at Resolve Strategies. And we are just grateful to have her here today. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So, Alia, what is DBT? So, DBT is a skills-based therapy that utilizes mindfulness, distress tolerance, emotion regulation, and interpersonal effectiveness to help people gain control of their emotions and their compulsive behaviors and be able to focus on each moment as it comes without judgment. I love that. I love the concept of being able to grab thoughts, pay attention to them, and not be judgmental about them. Just notice them. Just notice them. Maybe learn something from them. Maybe let them pass. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Maybe not give them a lot of weight. Maybe just give ourselves grace. I love that concept. So who would you say could benefit from DBT? Well, basically everyone. But it's really useful for people that feel out of control in general either out of control because of their emotions, maybe they have really intense feelings, um, or maybe they have some behaviors that they'd like to gain control over. For instance, compulsive eating behaviors, addictive behaviors, mood disorders, personality disorders, whatever it is that they need to gain control over to be able to, I guess, live with intention, um, it would be helpful for them. Absolutely. It would be very helpful for them. Mm -hmm. So I heard a lot of different populations benefiting from DBT. Yes. Yes, they do. Wonderful. So it would be important for people struggling from compulsivity, even behavioral addictions, extreme moods, mood disorders, personality disorders. You hear it a lot with borderline personality disorder and radical DBT, but you're saying everybody can benefit from it. Yes. Yes, it was created for people with borderline personality disorder, but through my groups, I found that anxiety, depression, eating disorders, all of those populations still benefit from the skills because they're not necessarily just targeted towards borderline personality disorder. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. So what would you say the difference between individual one-on-one sessions, DBT, and providing DBT in a group setting, what do you see the difference being? An individual, you get more time to apply the skills to that client's life, specifically, and they have more time to process the skills and get more examples of how to use them. 
But what's valuable about group is that you get the feedback of your peers, which is very helpful. So usually people would bring in a problem they're having in their lives, talk about it, how they feel about it, look at it non-judgmentally, and then the group can provide feedback on what skills they could use, what they would have done in the situation, or just provide validation, which is another skill that we learn in the interpersonal effectiveness module. Well, I'm going to try really hard here not to get on my soapbox about combining both individual with group services because I just feel like it's so important to have that one-on-one time to process your own needs, but then also to work towards your individualized treatment plan. But there is something magical that happens in a group setting when you're able to connect with, relate with, and build a community with your peers. You're working towards the same common goals. There is something so much more powerful about that. Yes, one-on-one therapy is great. And us therapists, we work hard, we're skilled, we're amazing at what we do, but there's still something special about group. Mm -hmm. So I really encourage people who are in one-on-one therapy to join a group. Because if you want to take your progress, if you want to meet your goals quicker, if you want to take it to the next level, I really recommend that people do both. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I think it's an entirely different experience. And you could always put the skills you learn in group and use them in individual with your individual therapist and get more out of it. But yes, that Peer interaction is really important to practice the skills, to get insight, to get feedback. Yeah, it's an entirely different experience. So do you often have clients of yours who are doing one-on-one and group together? Yes, I do encourage that. And I like to go back after they've attended group in their individual sessions and discuss like what their perspective was, what they would like to see done differently in group or just basically what their experience is, and also help them continue to use those skills outside of group. So you just used the word skills. Can you explain to our community the difference between a DBT process group and a DBT skills group? Yeah, the skills group is much more structured. Most of the time is spent on teaching the skill and learning how to apply it in your day-to-day life. In the processing group, you have much more time to spend on discussing how the skills are applied in your life. You can also spend time processing issues you're having and how to use skills to address them. And another difference is usually in a processing group, you don't have to attend every session, like the skills don't build on each other. So you're not as, um, it's not as much of a commitment, I'd say. Thank you. Alia, I want to dive into the DBT quadrants. So let's start with mindfulness. Tell me about mindfulness and that skill. Okay, so mindfulness is looking at each moment, the present moment, without judgment. So you're not labeling the moment as good or bad. It's basically just facts and what you feel during that moment. So emotions are not considered judgments. And you learn how to apply this skill to access wise mind, which is really, really important part of DBT. 
And if you'd like, I can go into Wise Mind. I would love for you to go into Wise Mind. So tell me about this Wise Mind we have. Okay. So Wise Mind is a combination of Emotion Mind and Reasonable Mind. And basically, Emotion Mind is all of our feelings, any emotion you have. It helps us determine what we like, what we dislike, our values, and all of that. Reasonable Mind is our logic, where we look at facts and make decisions based entirely on that. And wise mind is combining both. So you're validating emotion mind, validating what you feel in that moment, but also considering the facts of the situation. Facts are just what you take in with your senses. Everything else is an assumption. And then you combine the two and you learn to access your inner wisdom and learn how to make decisions based off of both minds instead of one or the other. And both minds together is the wise mind. I love that. I love it. And I'm glad that our community can hear what wise mind is because I might say that a time or two, like use your wise mind or I'm using my wise mind right now. And the other thing that I love about what you just explained is, you know, people who've been old timers in the field, you know, you'll hear that saying often, which is feelings aren't fact. Right. And I really feel like when you can relate that to mindfulness and understanding how to get into your wise mind, you really do practice that. Like, okay, so these are my feelings, but do my feelings create a fact? And most of the time, they do not at all. Right, exactly. (laughs) So discernment, really. Mm -hmm. You're, You're teaching people how to discern. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So tell me about emotion regulation. Emotion regulation is basically learning how to have control over your emotions. So first you would know what your emotions are, so you recognize them, and then you learn skills to either change them or tolerate them depending on the intensity. For instance, if you notice that you feel sad quite often, you can learn ways to basically feel sad less often by doing the opposite. So you would do something that usually creates joy. Even if you don't feel like it in the moment, over time it does help to change the overall sadness. Absolutely. And when you ask people, especially when they're they're dysregulated and will say they're in sadness, mm-hmm. um, when you ask them to smile, their brain chemistry actually changes. So the concept of fake it till you make it, and I have quotations because we say that just fake it till you make it. A lot of people are like, well, that's ridiculous. (laughs) But there's actually some science behind it, especially when you look at emotion regulation. It's like, let's identify the feeling that distresses us. So if we are distressed by this feeling, let's put into regular practice some other activities that give us the opposite reaction, which would be, say, exercise or yoga or meditation or therapy or things like that. The things Mm -hmm. that take us out of dysregulation and give us a more, you know, a sense of manageability in life. Exactly. Yeah. If you are already sad and listen to a sad song, you'll be more sad. So doing the opposite typically helps. Wonderful. So moving into, could you tell us more about interpersonal effectiveness and that Mm -hmm. skill? Yes. So this is one of my favorite skills. Interpersonal effectiveness is basically 
learning to interact with your environment, your relationships in ways that are helpful and to not be destructive in relationships mm. if you're struggling with that. So there are skills to set boundaries, there are skills to validate others. It teaches you how to build relationships, how to introduce yourself to people and determine if your relationships are helpful or interfering or destructive in the first place. I love this one too. <laughs> I get really excited about it because I feel like healthy boundaries and communication is such an important thing if you want to have good interpersonal relationships with self and with others. Mm -hmm. And we are social and relational beings. A lot of people really want to go on a, a recovery journey to better themselves, but they don't want to work on the relational piece. Right. And unfortunately, that's a big part of it. I mean, we, like I said, we're relational beings. It's a huge component and interpersonal effectiveness in these skills really allows us the opportunity to look carefully at like, what are our stumbling blocks? Mm -hmm. What emotions come up that kind of derail us and take us out of connection with others or to be destructive or right. toxic? <laughs> exactly. You learn to build your support system, which is really important in recovery. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, we talk about recovery on this podcast, but please understand that recovery is for anybody who is on a journey for health and self-discovery and just overall sense of well-being and self-acceptance. So mm -hmm. I think that DBT is a great way to help people at least initiate this path. Right. Yeah, I agree. So the last of the DBT quadrants is distress tolerance. Uh, can you tell us about that? Yes. Distress tolerance is learning to navigate a crisis without making it worse. So in this skill, you typically rely on distraction to get yourself out of an emotional spiral and prevent you from acting on any intense urges or feelings or thoughts. That's great. So when your thoughts are circling that drain, but they're not coming down. Yeah you would be able to utilize distraction as a method to overcome or at least give you pause, give you time between those thoughts and any kind of negative action or behavior. Right. The pause is important here. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's very important. One of my favorite things about DBT actually is the space between, the space that is created between the thought and any reaction to that thought or even buying into the thought at all. Exactly. Yeah. You need to be able to stop and do whatever it takes to get clarity mm -hmm. before you act. Typically when you're distressed, you're in emotion mind and... To be able to get back into wise mind, sometimes you're, the intensity of the emotion is so high that you can't do that without distraction. So that's kind of the difference between emotion regulation and distress tolerance because you don't want to distract from your feelings all the time. You need to know when to distract. And in DBT, you, know, you get taught the difference. What's the threshold? Can you tolerate the feeling or can you distract from it? What, what's the best course of action there? I love that answer. And I think it explains really my next question is, when do you start to recognize that your distraction techniques are becoming addictive in and of themselves? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you start to have these really 
distressful moods, these cravings or these triggers and mm-hmm. all of that happens, but you distract with food yeah. um, or you distract with your device mm-hmm. or you distract with Netflix or you, I mean, at some point we need to go back to those interpersonal effectiveness skills mm-hmm. to really discern mm-hmm. um, between healthy distraction and unhealthy distraction. Right. And distress tolerance a lot of the distractions are based on the senses. So you would self-soothe with visuals, with smells, things like that that are comforting to you. And then once you've gotten down to a baseline, you can either tolerate the rest of it. But you do want to go back and look at what happened, why the crisis occurred, what you could do differently in the future. So you want to apply the other skills as well. Once you've distracted, you want to apply mindfulness, wise mind, emotion regulation, all of that to get down to baseline. I love that. And again, why I think the skills group is so useful because you're constantly in rotation with that, aren't you? Yes, you are. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. So I think you've answered just about all my questions, but I'm eager to find out what your favorite skills are. Okay. My favorite skills are opposite action, which we just mentioned a little bit, which is you have an identified feeling and you would do a behavior that's the opposite in order to change the feeling over time. But you only use this skill if the feeling is congruent or it makes sense in the moment. The other skill I really like is Dear Man, which is an interpersonal effectiveness skill. This one teaches people how to set boundaries with others and explain their position on their boundary without having to go into too much detail or get distracted by other people's attempts to derail them. Good. So what are some of your favorite mindfulness skills? I'm curious because the word mindfulness is quite the buzzword these days, and I feel like it's overused, misused. There's not a lot of clarity. It's kind of a murky. Mm-hmm. So what are some really good mindfulness skills that you might learn or teach in your group? So how we teach mindfulness in the first place are the what skills, observe, describe, and participate. And I think my favorite is describe, mm-hmm. basically where you get to observe a moment and write down everything that you're observing in the moment and then have the clarity, I suppose, to not think about the past or the present, but you have it written down so you can look back on it and see, you know, what you experienced in that moment and not get distracted, I guess. And in these mindfulness skills, every single thing that you teach, you really are giving people resiliency and the neuroplasticity the same as a meditative practice on a daily basis. So -hmm. is that something you recommend as well? Yeah. Meditation is part of learning the mindfulness skills and connecting to wise mind. It's not necessarily required to be able to connect to wise mind. It's very helpful. And sometimes I think people struggle with, they think meditation is clearing their mind and it doesn't have to be. It could just be letting thoughts flow by without attaching to them. And that's how we practice it in our group, because it seems a little bit easier for people to learn it that way. And we just do some visual exercises of 
you know, you can imagine thoughts as clouds or leaves or whatever it is just floating by. We just spend a few moments doing that. It doesn't have to be for a long time. This is just wonderful. And I really appreciate you coming on and talking to our listeners about DBT. Because again, going back to what you said, I feel like everybody can benefit from these practices. They're so important, um, both for yourself and for your relationships. So I hope you'll come back in the future and talk to us a little bit more about other modalities that you utilize in your practice. Alia, where can our listeners find you? I'm on Psychology Today, and I'm also on the Resolve Strategies website. Wonderful. And so what is the website for Resolve Strategies? It's uh, www.resolvestrategiesinc.com. Wonderful. Resolvestrategiesinc.com. Mm-hmm. They can find you there. And I believe there's also a link there on the website that will take them right to your Psychology Today page. Yes, there is. So learn more about Alia Karada and what she does. And she does have some virtual DBT groups for mood and food. Mm-hmm. And so thanks again, Alia, for coming on. Thank you for having me. Do you feel preoccupied, confused, or embarrassed about an unwanted behavior? Do you prioritize pornography, food, finances, gambling, toxic people, and or chemicals over your primary responsibilities? Well, at Resolve Strategies in Savannah, Georgia, our clinical counselors offer evidence-based approaches to take you from discovery to recovery. To learn more about Resolve Strategies, visit www.resolvestrategiesinc.com and take our free quiz, Five Defense Mechanisms That Might Keep You in the Dark. Does anyone else feel like they just earned an extra brain wrinkle? Do you feel like that went by way too fast and just cannot wait till the next episode? Then leave a review and share this episode with a friend, a loved one, a coworker, or whomever, because your valued feedback makes a direct impact. Thank you for dropping in. Snaps to you, because you have made a direct impact by listening to this podcast. Make sure to follow us on social media and stay tuned every week for a new episode of Direct Impact with Andrea Epting. Direct Impact leaves you hungry for more.